pray with the fathers, but um, let me pray for us, and uh, then Mark, will we'll let you talk about just discipline and how important that is in the home. Father, I am so grateful for uh, the opportunity that you've given us um, as a church to build one another up in love and good deeds. I pray that we would spur one another on continually um, in that. We ask that you would give us great wisdom, great insights, uh, deeper love for each other, um, for the small groups coming up, and even tonight. Um, I thank you for our opportunity um, around the table here in a little bit to um, discuss these things. And we pray today that you would use your word. Um, faith comes from hearing, hearing by your word, uh, possibly to um, convert someone for, um, for your glory. And then for all of us who know the Lord Jesus already, I pray that we would be sanctified by your truth. Your word is truth, that you would answer the prayer of your son um, as we're sanctified. And so we commit uh, this night to you and look forward to what you're going to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a real quick, tonight is a little bit of a hodgepodge in some regards, not that there's no structure, but just there's a lot of, kind of a lot of things in this passage that we'll be looking at. But just a, a brief word of something we did not get to two weeks ago when we talked about the verse in chapter 3. Let me reread uh, 3, 20 and 21. Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And just, I, we were going to say this back then, but we didn't get a chance. So just real quickly, um, a couple points about discipline. Uh, again, this is really to fathers and to mothers as well. But uh, a couple quick things about discipline. Number one, uh, we should not discipline our children excessively or from anger. Uh, you know, Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now that's not about parenting there, but there's a principle that applies. It, the, the spirit that comes should be a spirit of love and gentleness. It should not be coming out of the heat of an angry moment. Discipline should also not be unpredictable. You know, on Monday, there's no discipline. On Tuesday, there's a little bit of discipline, and then on Wednesday, you just fly off the handles with crazy amounts of discipline, and Thursday, back to no discipline. Listen, it's a temptation for, for anybody who's a parent, but the consistency takes discipline for the parents, but it is of great benefit to the child, and otherwise, the child can become confused and uh, exasperated eventually. Number three, uh, third point here is, so don't, don't discipline too much, right? But also, don't discipline too little. Just a couple proverbs, you probably heard these maybe growing up. Proverbs 29.19. So let me just mention here physical discipline. So Proverbs 29.19. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond. So disciplining with only words every time is not sufficient. These verses are probably very well known. Proverbs 13.24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 22.15. This one is, is really good. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will delight uh, he, will give, he will give delight to your heart. So just those basic things. We don't want to discipline from anger or excessively. 
We don't want to discipline inconsistently to confuse the child. And we also, uh, we don't want to avoid disciplining altogether. We want to make sure that there's a loving balance and wisdom to, to how that is done. Good. Anything other on that? It just, just a couple of things I, w- I would say. Uh, one is, I mean, if you're a parent in this room, you know how hard this a discipline is extremely hard, even for future parents in this room, to know that it is not easy. Uh, we fail on this all, all the time. I feel like, like Jerry, you've said, like we over-discipline, we under-discipline. We're all over the place. God's got the perfect discipline with us, but we're just all over the place. So I think we need massive wisdom to do this well and to do this biblically. And I think Lloyd-Jones said, if you are angry and you're heading upstairs to discipline your, your child, he said, you're the one that needs discipline. And that's just seared in my mind that your, your place is wrong there and you need discipline. So we have to be so careful that we do not yeah, discipline out of anger and we definitely need to lean in to the Lord for his help. And, and certainly that, I love that you're bringing that up, Scott, the um, Hebrews 12 passage where the Lord is so faithful to discipline us, it's continual. And that's what we want to be with our, our children. Not always that it's uh, with the yardstick or the belt, but it's a training. It's a continual thing. It never, there's never a day off from that. And uh, quite a responsibility as parents. And that's certainly why we need to seek the Lord continually. Greg, would you um, begin? Where should we start? Four, four uh, two? Two, yeah. <clears throat> start there. All right, I'm going to read uh, this first section, chapter, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, okay? It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, literally redeeming the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If you want an outline just to kind of hang a few things on for verses 2 through 6, verse 2, you could say, is a general prayer emphasis. A general prayer emphasis, verse 2, verses 3 and 4 is a specific prayer focus. Uh, again, verses 3 and 4, specific prayer focus. And verses 5 and 6, we see a twofold evangelistic approach. Uh, again, never will I claim inspiration or inerrancy for any outline, but maybe that's helpful for you. Um, and so we, we get here, Paul's finishing up the letter. Uh, you know, oftentimes he kind of brings, brings his thoughts together, some important things that he wants to make sure he stresses. And it's interesting and it's, it's instructive, I should say, that he starts with prayer. He starts with prayer. He's been talking about false teaching, um, you know, the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus over all these other ways and how everything we need is in Jesus. And then he talks about prayer. And I, I say a general prayer emphasis because, you know, in verses 3 and 4, he's very specific about something. But verse 2 is just these two things ought to mark our praying whenever we pray. Two qualities, if you will, two characteristics. Uh, the first one is being watchful or, or watchfulness. Um, I mean, it's a word to means to, to be on guard. You think of a sentry standing guard on a wall watching for the enemy to come so he can warn the city or the castle, um, you know, that there's danger there. Um, and so, you know, you think of being watchful, that means you're, you're sober-minded, you're alert, you're you're in the moment, you're aware of what's going on. Um, and when we pray, we need to be watchful. We need to be on guard. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be alert. Um, you know, 
and the reason why I think that matters is because a lot of times you'll hear it's very popular, like in Christian culture, you know, when you pray, you know, just kind of let your mind go, you know, God, you know, go wherever, God, you know, speak in some weird mystical way. No, nowhere does the Bible talk about us ever letting our minds go. It's always talking about engaging our minds. Um, even that word meditation that's very frequent in the Bible, it's not the Eastern meditation where you're emptying your mind and hoping something will fill it. No, when you meditate biblically, you're filling your mind with the Word and you're thinking over the Word and you're wrestling with the Word and you're pondering it. Same thing when we pray. Uh, we need to engage our minds. And the only way we can do that is if we're being watchful. And then the second thing he says is with thanksgiving. Any of you gentlemen want to speak about that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this is huge. I think Thanksgiving will fuel your prayer life. I think people said Thanksgiving is the best and necessary companion of the prayer that perseveres. Uh, you want to persevere in prayer? Add Thanksgiving to, you, to your prayer life. And I mean, this is Paul is emphasizing Thanksgiving over and over in Colossians, something I've certainly emphasized it here. It's just so massively important. And if we want to grow in Thanksgiving, I, I thought about Grant Crane. He mentioned this at the Sunday School in Romans. Uh, this ties in with that. This is one commentator said, a true appreciation of the believer's status alive to God in Christ, with all one sins forgiven and destined for glory, will inevitably produce thanksgiving. And such an attitude of thanks will serve as a powerful stimulus to pray. And Grant was just talking about thinking back to like your conversion, thinking about what would have happened if God had not intervened in my life, uh, you know, storing up wrath for yourself, and what would have happened if I died? Like Grant talked about, he had a four-wheeler accident, and he said, what would have happened? Well, he would have gone where his sins deserved. And like thinking on that, and then thinking about what God has done for you in Christ, and just thinking even just God's blessings in your life, what, 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 like your children or whatever, all these things that have happened, that will begin to stir, uh, I think, thanksgiving to God. And one of the things I was just thinking about, uh, we, talked, we had an elders meeting this week, it was fantastic, and we spent several minutes just talking about how grateful we were for this church, and uh, thinking about how many people have grown, thinking about how many people are desiring the Word of God, are hungry for the Word, we've seen conversions. I think just thinking about your church family for a little while, think through some names, think why you're particularly thankful for them, and thanksgiving will be it will just be overflowing. You'll begin to overflow. Yeah, don't you think, uh, I love the way he starts here with two things that are really hard, at least for, for me. And someone said, if you're going to humble a man, ask him about his prayer life. And maybe sometime for, for women too. But prayer and what we say with our tongue, those are the two things that he, that he addresses here. But it's hard work to pray. Mark, what do you have? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that to try, I, I, maybe I've said this before, but we need to try to find a way to get into the habit of having prayer when we are alone by ourselves. Yes, pray with roommates, spouse, kids, all that is wonderful, necessary, but we need to develop a private prayer life that is not, now, there's two different ways we can pray. One is sort of while we're going about our daily business, we, we, we keep an ongoing relationship with God where we are speaking to Him, asking Him for help. Uh, I love that. I, someone mentioned a few weeks ago Nehemiah's prayer in Nehemiah chapter 2. It's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible because Nehemiah, remember, he goes before the king without a, without a joyful face, and that's not okay. You're supposed to have like a beaming fake happiness when you're around the king because it's so great to be around the king. And he look, comes up with this kind of downward face, Nehemiah. He's risking his life to do that. And the king says, why, are you, you know, why is your face down? And Nehemiah begins to answer, and the king asks him a specific question, and there's this amazing sentence in Nehemiah 2. It says, and Nehemiah prayed to the Lord, and then he answered. Well, how much time did Nehemiah have to make that prayer? He had about two seconds to make that prayer, and that two-second prayer found a verse in the Bible. So I love that prayer. He probably said, Lord, help me. That's probably, that was probably the whole prayer. That prayer made it into Scripture. 
Uh, so, I mean, God hears those one-second prayers throughout the day when you have just a hard conversation is coming your way at work, and you go, Lord, please give me the words. Please give me the tone. Please help me. And you go. So, so th- those prayers should be happening throughout our day. But there's a, there's a kind of prayer that I want to grow in, really, is the at least, I know Daniel was three times a day. I haven't gotten to that. But just once a day to be in the presence of God alone, like, you know, in your prayer closet, to use Jesus' language. Like, close the door. No one's around. If, if find a moment early in the morning, late at night, whenever, and getting, getting down before the Lord and just having time where you're just speaking to Him, thanking Him, like you said, praying for other members of this church by name, praying for individuals or couples or family or children by name and saying, Lord, Please strengthen this person. Help this person to grow in their love for you. Help them to grow in their passion for, for your word this week. Help them to have, uh, you know, a, a, an attitude of gratitude and all that kind of stuff. P- those things uh, being a regular part of our life, it, it is a sweet thing when, when those things are able to happen. And it's something we can even begin to look forward to uh, as time goes on. Yeah, Mark will be here soon, but the, the verse, Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut your door, pray to your father who isn't, uh, who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. What a great promise there. Go and pray in secret. Give in secret. Fast in secret. This shouldn't be something that's showy. And then I love that the idea of when we're struggling, because I struggle so much to know how. Listen to this great promise in Romans 8. Um, verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So go before the Lord, and I think confess sometimes. I don't even know exactly what to pray for, but I want to pray, and I want to grow in my ability and, and be changed in that manner. I think that that moment can really happen where it goes from duty to delight, mm-hmm. where it goes from the thing I've got to do because I'm supposed to do it before bed to the thing I can't wait till I get to that moment in the day where I get to have that time with the Lord. Whether it's early, late, midday, just carving out some time that's a regular part of my daily you know, habit and, and to actually begin to anticipate it, to look forward to it positively. Oh, that, that is a sweet experience. Scott, you've helped us with the, kind of these habits to grow in these. What are you, give us um, maybe 32 ways to grow in this. <laughs> in ha- <laughs> well, I mean, I think the, Josh Cross would be your guy. He's been reading on, on the, he calls it habit, habit stacking or something like that. Is that yeah, what it habit is? Habit stacking, Zach yeah. is giving me the, the nod where you, you already do something during the day. Like you do it every day, brushing your teeth for one, driving to work for one, and start building in times where you pray specifically in these times, tie it mm. to brushing your teeth, tie it to dr- pulling into the, your parking lot at work, somebody said, and you pray every time you do it, you're training your mind to wow. do that. I think Lloyd-Jones' thing that I mentioned before, always respond to every impulse to pray, I think that's been one of the most helpful for me, just practically, anytime you get a prompt uh, from the Spirit to pray for the, you should stop everything. And the more you begin to do that, I mean, the more amazing, more things will happen. You'll be prompted more and more and more, the more you begin to, so, I mean, you could talk a bunch about that, but those are just a few things. Yeah, Greg? Um, This is, it might seem a little silly, but it's something that's been very uh, helpful for me. Uh, Don't pick the time when you're sleepiest to pray. (laughs) Like for some of us, some some people can get up early in the morning and they are, you know, bright, cheery, you know, ready to, you know, tackle the day. Um, You know, if that's your best time, that's great. 
Um, but if it takes you a little while to get going, don't feel like you're sinning against God if you don't pray in the morning. Um, I mean, seriously, if you're going to be watchful and you're going to be thankful, you have to be coherent and with it, okay? <laughs> if that's middle of the day at lunch break, if that's in the evening after, you know, you know, for a certain period of time, you get 15, you know, 10 to 15 minutes where you can get alone, and that's when you can focus the best, that's the best time to do it. There's not a set time that, that like somehow you receive a greater blessing from the Lord if you pray in that time. So find a time where you can sit, your, your mind sharp, and you can focus, okay? That's going to be your best time um, to pray. And I also want to comment, like, you know, there are going to be moments where it just feels like you could stay there for the rest of your life. And there's going to be times where it's like you, you can barely form two sentences before the Lord. You, it's okay if you get there. I've been there. It happens more frequently than I wish, uh, more frequently than I want, and it's normal, okay? We are not glorified yet. We struggle. We get tired. We get distracted, and we do the best we can. We keep pressing forward. Um, you know, when the Lord gives you those special moments, like Mark was saying, where it goes from just the duty to the delight, make the most of it. Um, and if it's not one of those moments and you can't get your mind engaged and it seems like no matter what you do, you can't get focused the way you should, you know, get alone, talk out loud, you know, and just say basically, Lord, repeat the Lord's prayer, you know, follow acts, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication or something, and just say, God, you are God, I worship you, I'm thankful for Jesus, I can't get much more out right now, help me trust you and walk with you. And if that's the best you can do, that's not an ineffective prayer, okay? Yeah. One more quick thing, you know, we get to verse 3, is um, I know we've emphasized the prayer in secret and doing it, but how helpful to pray with people. It's just a glorious thing to be able to do that. At Bible College, I had three guys that came and asked whether I would join them. The four of us were able to pray 9.30 to 10.30 every Sunday night. Unless you had a note from your coroner, you had to be there. 9.30 to 10.30. And it was a most life-changing thing. And what it did was, learning how to pray from those guys was very helpful. No prayer requests, no anything. Just pray out loud. And just enter whenever you wanted to or whenever. And so there wasn't as much structure to it. I'm sure it wasn't at all maybe a great way to do it but for us it was life-changing and it really helped my secret prayer life by learning how to pray from those guys a little bit so i wouldn't want to throw the baby out with the bath horror. Oh, that's great and i, I just it, it, struggling we all struggle like you're saying with the duty part moving into the delight part and it kind of can go back and forth for sure uh, but one of the, one of the things that can can bring the delight out big time is you you are praying for spiritual growth for someone in this church, and then a month goes by and you start to see it. Yeah, yeah. That's when you have a, you're like, whoa, this, this, wait, I was talking to God about this particular person and I'm seeing visible, obvious spiritual growth in them. That will excite you to go pray more because you're going, God is real. Like, this is real. Like, you, you talk to God, he actually can respond to and answer our prayers. And when it happens, sometimes we forget. This is real. Like, God is actually listening. He's actually sovereign. And he actually does, you know, the, the heart of the king is in his hands. He turns it like a stream of water wherever he wills. And, and praying for the spiritual growth of others in this room and then seeing it happen is 
thrilling. And the same thing for praying for conversion. When that happens, it is, it is beyond thrilling. Uh, can right, I say good. one more quick thing in light of praying for people? We're about to have our church directory come out. You want a way you can pray consistently for folks in this church. Figure out however many members are in that directory. Take, break it up according to the month. Pray for that many each day. That way, at least once a month, you are praying for every single person in this church by name. And you don't have to do long prayers. But, you know, we, how, how can, because otherwise I get so overwhelmed. I, I want to pray for all of you at one time. But, man, make use of the church directory, guys, when you get it. Because you can, you can schedule your prayers for people. And then, man, one, at least once a month, you're calling out to God for those people specifically. Um, and that way, you're, you're, you're serving them, but you're also enabling yourself in the discipline of praying for your church. Good. Mark, do I read? Oh, go ahead, Scott. One, one more thing. I know we could stay forever on this. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just... I, being around people who pray well, I know Jerry, you won't like this, but being around you, like listening to Jerry pray, he prays so biblically, and he's just saturated with the Bible. He's teaching us how to pray. Every time you, you pray, it just he's saturated with Bible. You may not even realize he's quoting scripture all the time in his prayer. So we learn from that. I think about Grant Crane. I love the way Grant prays. I just I can just listen to him pray. There's something about him. I remember Oliver Allison when he prayed. I just like man, I love. I would almost always ask Oliver because he just prayed so well. Uh, Liliana has mentioned Elizabeth Long. Well, the same way. Just get around people like that and learn to to pray from people who pray well in our church. I think it's another just practical tip. That's good. Mark, would you uh, read three and four and uh, help us on those? Yes. I'll start back in two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Just the first thing here, I don't want to be misunderstood on this because this could come off too harsh and I don't mean it that way. We absolutely should pray for physical issues that people have in this church. If someone's going through a surgery, if someone has cancer, if someone is sick, it is absolutely not wrong. It is absolutely right and good to pray for physical things and physical illnesses. I do not want to minimize that. At the same time, proportionally, Paul's emphasis, not that he ignores the physical world, but when you look at Paul's prayers, they are, they are not almost ever about physical maladies, although he didn't ignore those, but his prayers are about growth of the word in the world, the, the open door for the gospel. They're about uh, other people growing in their faith. I mean, look at Paul's letters. Read his prayer in Philippians 1. Read his prayer in Ephesians 1. Read his prayer in Ephesians 3. Read his prayer in, written in Colossians 1. And just spend, spend time letting Paul's prayers reformat how we pray. Like, let, let Paul's words uh, change the way we think about prayer and let his emphases inspired by the Spirit become our emphases. Just like we'll have the Lord's Prayer on a Sunday, you know, coming up in a few months and we'll get there. And uh, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, the physical is there, right? Like daily bread is on that list. But of course, kingdom come, your name being hallowed, like th those things are there too. So just keeping a biblical proportion of what we pray for. Can I just plug a book real quick? Dave Carson wrote a book called Praying with Paul. We did it in our joint book club, uh, Praying with Paul, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. He just walks through all of Paul's prayers. It's, I think they're online. You can probably listen to them too. It is really worth getting and, and going through because he, he just, he's helping you pray. It works prayers. for each of Paul's prayers. Each of Paul's prayers, yeah. yeah. Really That's good, Greg. Well, Notice who uh, the specific focus Paul has here. Um, he says, pray also for us, Paul and those with him who are in prison preaching the gospel. And what is he praying? Going off what Mark said, he's not praying first and foremost that they'd be freed from prison. He's praying that God would open a door for the word. Like I, I, I want an opportunity. Paul's saying we want an opportunity 
more of an opportunity to preach the gospel because he says to declare, to speak the mystery of Christ. I mean, that's why he's in prison and he, he wants an open door. But notice the, the next thing he asks for, that I may make it clear. You might say, this is the Apostle Paul. Paul doesn't need the Spirit's help, does he? Yes, he does. The only reason Paul could preach the way he did was because the Holy Spirit helped him do it. And guess what? We, we elevate Paul to this like super Christian level, but he was a guy, he was a dude just like the rest of us. He needed the Spirit's help and he needed the prayers of the churches. And what was he praying? An open door and make it clear. And so I think one thing we can do in, regularly in our prayers, especially within our local context, for those who we know are preaching the Word on a regular basis, teaching it, preaching it, and specifically those who are going to be in situations where they're sharing the gospel with non-believers, because that's the main focus here, is not just teaching the church, it's more preaching it to those who are unbelievers. Say, Lord, first, open that door. Number two, God, make it clear. Make the, make the, the people who are sharing, make their, their gospel presentation clear. Paul needed that, and we need it too. And so, you know, when you think of having an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, you know, yes, God, open their heart, open their ears, open their eyes, and also, Lord, help me be clear. Help me be clear. I mean, Paul wanted clarity. Um, and so no matter how far you've advanced in the Christian faith, uh, we still need clarity. We still need the Spirit's help to make sense and not make a mess of it. Now, the good news is, even on our best days, our clarity can't save anyone. Only the Spirit does that. But we can still do our best to be as clear as we can. With clarity, I think there's at least two things that can make us unclear. One is just I'm kind of confused about what I'm trying to say, and it's hard to put it into words. We've all been there, right? You're trying to, you're trying to put it into words. It's just not coming out as clearly as you hope. And so, you're, Lord, help, please make me articulate, make this more, more clear. That's one. But another one that's, that's the real, a real more of a, that's more of a natural capacity, help me, Lord. The other one is more of a sin issue. There could be a temptation to be unclear because clarity can become unpopular. I think that's no less real of a threat to say, if someone asks me a question, sometimes the more clear I am about what scripture teaches, the more someone may look at me like you're crazy. And so sometimes lack of clarity can actually be a form of, of, of more of a, an intimidation or cowardliness that I can sometimes slip into. So both praying for God to give me the words to speak like Moses at the burning bush, Lord, I'm not a good speaker. The Lord said, I made your mouth. I can make this work. And Moses has got to trust the Lord. So pray for the capacity to, to try to put it into words clearly, but also pray for the courage and the love to speak it forthrightly as well. Yeah, now boldness he, he prays for. Hey, can you guys give us an idea? Sometimes it seems selfish to ask somebody to pray for us. And then other times we may be prideful and we're like, nope, I'm not asking. I'm fine on my own. Can you kind of help us where that balance is? When would is it right to ask someone to help, pray for us? Just for, like, because Paul does it here, so we know it's right sometime. I mean, I think the, like, Manuel and Sarah Fierro were here, and they were so good at, at building relationships with non-Christians, and they would invite them over for dinner, and they knew, here's an opportunity for the gospel, and they would ask our discussion group, they would say, please pray, you know, this Wednesday night, we're having this couple, they're not Christians, they're about to leave, this is the last chance we got with them, please pray that we'll be bold to speak the gospel, make it clear to them, that type of thing. And I think that's exactly the appropriate response. So all of us would be praying. We'd come back the next week and they say, we got to share the gospel. Thank you so much for praying. And that's just, we need each other in those moments when you know you're going to have this clear opportunity 
with a non-believer where you're hoping the gospel will come up. You want to ask people, please pray for me. And, and I mean, that's just humility, I feel like. Yeah, that's good. And that's not, that didn't feel like, because it's not really necessary. They weren't asking a prayer for them. They were asking prayer for the gospel yes. to, yeah, good. What, what do you think? Well, that's why I was asking you guys. <laughs> I, you know, I think that oftentimes it is a pride issue. If we're just trying to get attention, we probably should be convicted by that. But more often than not, I should have asked somebody to pray for me, and I just haven't done it. It's kind of like just being overly independent, maybe, and not seeing the value of prayer or the importance of prayer or the power of prayer. So I imagine we can miss it either way, but um, I think we ought to do it more often, you know, if, with humility, for sure. But how about uh, five and six? Scott? Okay. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I mean, I think verse 5, uh, making the best use of the time, a couple different quotes it suggests that time is in short supply, and like a bargain hunter in a sale, you snap up what time you find. The return of the Lord is always impending, rendering it entirely uncertain how much time we will yet be given. An important aspect of wise living is to use the short time God has given us to best Effect. So we could talk about time in a, in a big sense, but I do think here, studying this, I think I agree with this commentator who said in Colossians, this will refer to making the most of the open doors that God gives us to evangelize, making the most of these open doors, maybe at work where you're building a relationship and this moment comes up and it's like, snatch up that time. Here's this moment. It's a crystal clear opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Use that opportunity. And I, I thought of a story from my dad. I mean, we grew up uh, hearing my dad. I've got hundreds of sermons that I've heard and I think I've got probably hundreds of illustrations in my head, which I'm so thankful for. It's, it's uh, his godly legacy that will leave behind, but they're in my head. I, I thought of one when I was looking at this. He told this story. Uh, he was probably a new Christian in his 20s. He was living with a group of guys. He had some kind of surgery. I can't remember if it was uh, his wisdom teeth maybe was, were pulled. He was home by himself all day. Everybody's gone. He's by himself. He's kind of recovering slowly from this wisdom teeth deal, and a, and a traveling salesman knocked on the door. And my dad said he was lonely. He hadn't been able to talk to anybody. Here's the traveling salesman. So come on in, this traveling salesman. The traveling salesman said... Before he gave his presentation, he said, I have uh, two uh, conditions. Number one, I want you to have an open mind. Number two, I want you to hear me out to the very end before you make a decision. He said, are you, are you good with that? Now, of course, he didn't know that it, it was Bob McGander. My dad is never going to go for a traveling salesman. No way. The guy has no shot to yeah. sell this thing. But my dad agreed to it. So he listened to this guy's whole thing to the very end and uh, didn't want it, I don't think. But my dad turned the tables on him. He saw this as an opportunity for the gospel. And he said, I have a, a proposition for you, but I have two conditions. Number one, I want you to hear, have an open mind. Number two, I want you to listen to me to the very end before you make a decision. So then he started with a question. He said, uh, what would it take to get to the end of your life? What would you need to accomplish to get to the end of your life and say, I have lived a successful life? You know, what would you need to do to say, this is a successful life? And he said the guy was really surprised by the question. He sat back, he sort of like took off his salesman cap for a second. And he thought about it in all seriousness. He tried to think, an answer. He said, he couldn't think of an answer. He said, I honestly don't know. And he, he asked my dad, what, what would you say? You know, what would you say to be a successful life? And my dad said, no matter what I do in life, no matter what I accomplish, for me, a successful life would be to get to the end of my life and hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he just kind of went into the gospel with this guy, took this opportunity, I mean, that's snatching up the time, presented the gospel to him. I don't, I don't think he was converted on the spot, but it's sort of putting that rock in the shoe for this guy to think about eternal things, think about Jesus, think about... Uh, the gospel, and maybe, I hope he's converted one day, we'll meet him in heaven one day, but that's the idea, if you have this moment, I mean, my dad probably never see that guy again, and he snatched that time up, gave him the gospel right there, so I think that's kind of what Paul's getting at there. 
I don't know who this originated with. I've heard Piper say it, and I've heard some others say it, but it, it's, a, it's a catchy little, little quote. It says something to the effect like, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And it's like, you know, we, we want to avoid like being legalistic so that, you know, it's not saying that every single word that comes out of our mouth has to be some conscious, well-worded praise of Jesus. Like, but it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset that says... I'm only here for a little while, um, and the things that are going to last beyond this life are the things that I do for Christ and in the name of Christ. Um, and that's just a perspective shift that I think if we can, can get, strive towards getting more on board with that and having that more at the forefront, then we'll see that no conversation in the big picture is um, casual. No conversation is incidental. There's no encounter with any person no place we go where it's not an opportunity to make a difference and an impact that'll last all eternity. And so, again, we don't, you don't want to push that to the extreme that if you ever have a thought that's not explicitly Christian, oh, wow, I'm sinning. That's not, that's not what it means. It's, it's a perspective that sees potential in every moment to, to do something for Jesus to make a difference forever. I think a great commentary on this verse, uh, my favorite part of... And go to Scott's sermons on redeeming the time. There's no doubt about those that are super valuable, but Romans 13, 11. And listen to this. The idea is there just isn't any time to sin anymore. All right? Let's just quit that nonsense because there's not time for that. Right? That's, that, was, that was an old man. Listen to 13, 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It sure is, right? We've never been so close as we are right now. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the words of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the, as in the daytime. Not in orgies, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So there's an urgency. And when we think about eternal things, two things are going to happen. We're going to be urgent because we realize how uh, short the time is, and we're going to be excited because it is getting better each day because we're getting closer each day. And, uh, and I think that urgency should drive um, believers uh, maybe more than it does. Just tagging on to that. Alistair Begg, a lot of you know Alistair Begg, uh, maybe 20 years ago or so, there was a guy in his church, this is on YouTube, I just saw this recently, you can look it up, there's a guy in his church named Mike, Michael Fox, I think was his name, he was uh, probably around the age of 50, you know, has several daughters, he's dying of lung cancer, and he had gone through a battle with cancer for well over a year, close to two years, and Alistair Begg interviewed him, this is months before he died, in 2001, I think, right around there, and uh, it's about a 45-minute interview, and while they're, while they're talking, uh, Alistair Beck says, share, share what the Lord's been teaching you in the midst of this horrific trial that you've been going through. And he says a whole lot of stuff that make you cry if you listen to it. But one thing he shared was, he said, I was in the hospital, you know, his hair had fallen out. He was down to 150 pounds. This is like a 200-pound guy, down to 150 pounds, tall guy, used to be an athlete. And he said, I'm in, I'm in my uh, hospital bed. And he said, I'd woken up and they'd put a little like, curtain between me and another guy it was apparently on the other side of the curtain. I didn't know he was even there at first. He said, it was 11 o'clock at night. It was time for my sleeping pill or something. So they gave him some pill to help him sleep. 
And about 15 minutes after he took the pill, he's, he's, he's going off. You know, he's, I'm, I'm drifting off. I'm ready to go. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice on the other side of the curtain say, hey, what are you in for? <laughs> and he said, like, it sounded like you're in prison. Like, what are you in for? Armed robbery. What about you? He said, so he, he woke up and he thought, he said, I have two thoughts. First was, Lord, not, not now. <laughs> not now. I'm drifting off. The second thing was, okay, like, look what's going to happen. So he, he, he begins to talk to this guy. And turns out the guy next to him also had lung cancer and was possibly going to die as well. And they get into this conversation and he said, he, said, uh, he said, I learned that the Lord can use us in our weakness maybe better than any other time. He said, all I had to give the Lord that night was a bunch of weakness. He said, I was shriveling up. I felt like I was dying. I had no energy. My thoughts were going with the, with the pill. And he said, he came back too and he, he talked to this guy and the guy shared he'd had a heart transplant a few months, a few years earlier that had saved his life. And then now he's going through chemotherapy and it was having trouble with his heart and all these things. And so he just shared with him. He said, so you're telling me that someone had to die in order for you to live, to give you a new heart. And he said, it was like the Holy Spirit just started like helping him. And he just said, he said, he, goes, he asked him about eternity. And the guy said, he didn't really know. He thought he'd just try to be a good person. And maybe there's a God and he'd let me into heaven. And he started explaining the gospel that Jesus died to give us a new heart. And he explained the, the whole gospel. And the guy, I, I don't know if he became a Christian. He prayed at least with him that night and was sort of asking the Lord to be at work in his life. And then he said the next morning he woke up and the guy had been taken to another room and he never saw him again. But he told Alistair Begg, he said, even in the moments of extreme weakness, he said, I think the Lord can use us maybe at our best in those moments. And so he, he, he redeemed the time in that moment. He bought that time up before it slipped away. Yeah, God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. There's for sure. Greg, could you help us with verse six yet? Yeah. Um, again, let's read it. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Uh, Mark talked about salt um, in the sermon on, on Sunday. Here's another application of that salt as a metaphor. I mean, he's not saying literally, you know, coat your tongue, you know, before you go talk to somebody. Number one, that'd be really weird. It would increase your blood pressure and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm not, that's not what he's saying. He's, it, it's a metaphor, you know, because you were speaking mostly of the preservative function of it, but that you also mentioned the seasoning, like it, it enhances the flavor. And so think about what Paul's saying here. Um, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. You say, okay, if we're seasoning our conversation with salt, what is, this, what is it a seasoning? What are we enhancing? Um, and, and our speech needs to constantly be pointing people to Jesus, to God, to his glory, to the kingdom, so that when they hear us talk, um, you know, even if we're not specifically preaching the gospel, and they're around us, and they hear how we talk to people, like they're getting a flavor of heaven in the way we talk. And, you know, when, when, you, when you enhance the flavor of something, it makes you want it more. Um, you know, sometimes you get something's really bland, you're like, oh, that's disgusting, but you put some seasoning on it, and all of a sudden, it like brings it out. That's why, like, you know, we grill steaks or, you know, meat, or you smoke stuff, you, you, you season it because it brings out what's there, and it, it enhances it. And so, our speech, especially towards non-believers, I mean, we practice that amongst each other, but amongst non-believers, they should be able to get a flavor of what heaven's like when they hear us talk. Um, and again, the only way that's going to happen, we go back to uh, chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The only way it's going to come out out there is if we're filled with it in here, mm -hmm. which I think we are, by the way. Like, I love, I love this group. I love this church. Um, you guys, you know, you practice this, but see the connection there. If we're going 
to have uh, you know, the, the seasoning of heaven and of the kingdom in our, in our speech, uh, we, we've got to have it here first. Sinclair Ferguson uh, has that wonderful Scottish accent, you know, and uh, Sinclair Ferguson said he could be on an elevator in a hotel and a stranger comes in and within the first sentence out of his mouth, the stranger knows something about him, doesn't he? Because as soon as the inflection of his voice comes out, the stranger knows where he's from, right? You, you get a sense of it right away. And he said, he said, just like you guys can all hear his accent and you all know Scottish and whatnot, it's because he was, his, his whole way of speaking was trained in another land. Right? He, he learned how to speak in another land. And when he came here, that land comes with him. The, the, the way of speaking comes with him, and you can hear it immediately. He said, we are born again from above. What if our language is actually shaped by another land? What if it's shaped by a heavenly place where, where God and Christ are? And what if the gracious words, the, the salty, seasoned with salt words that come out of our mouth are something that is so otherworldly? It, it's, not, it's not treating people as they deserve. It's a compassion, a love, a kindness, a fragrance to it. And, and people can hear our speech and go, you must be from somewhere else. That, that must have come from somewhere else. And hopefully they could get a taste of, of it coming from, from where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's really good. Scott, anything final? Yeah, again, uh, paraphrasing Sinclair Ferguson again, he said, one of the most obvious ways that the new birth will begin to manifest itself is in the way in which we use our tongues. And just another quick story. We've told this one before. Another one of my dad, he was converted. His brother was five years younger. He came home at some point, and there was that stack of uh, dirty magazines that my, my uncle had, my dad's brother had, and my dad just threw them away. That was his evangelistic technique, was throw all these magazines away. It made my uncle furious that he did that. But then my dad apologized. He just, he just simply apologized to, to my uncle. And we were listening to Uncle, uncle Tim. His, his name is Tim. And we were getting his conversion. He said uh, that my dad had never apologized to him before in his life. He said, this is the first time he ever... And he just thought, this is unusual. And it led him to see, let me examine the Bible. And he just began reading the Bible, I think, straight through the Bible. He got to Jesus. He said he'd never seen anybody like Jesus. And he was converted. But it started with like a gracious word. That, 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 I mean, the power of our words, it's incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you were talking about Manuel earlier. No gossip. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, Jose comes to love and know Christ. Yep, good. We, do we need to stop? Let, let me just read to the end. Yeah. I mean, th- this Let's is do. a list of Paul's friends. We won't spend a lot of time right now commenting on these, but I'll just read to the end. <clears throat> Verse 7. I can't guarantee I'll pronounce these correctly. Tychicus uh, will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with them, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Just pause. Onesimus is the name of Philemon's slave. And so Colossians and Philemon were sent together. These two letters were sent together at the same time to, these, to, to the same place. Philemon was in the Colossian church. Okay, that, it's kind of mind-blowing when you put that together. Colossians of Lehman go right together. Uh, verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have, you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So those men were Jewish. They're of the circumcision. These next guys are not Jewish. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis, those two neighboring cities. Verse 14, Luke, also a Gentile. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does 
Demas, give my greetings to the brothers in, at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Let me just pause there. We do not believe that we have the letter from the Laodiceans. Otherwise, our Bible would be Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Laodiceans, and Colossians. We don't have that letter anymore. And you say, why not? I don't know. But we don't have a number of Paul's letters. We don't have the letter he wrote to the Corinthians before 1 Corinthians. We don't have the letter he wrote between 1 and 2 Corinthians. And we don't have many other letters that no doubt Paul wrote. So God gave us the ones we needed. So we have to trust God's sovereignty that we have exactly the letters that are sufficient for all of life and godliness. We don't have any extras or any less than we need. The 66 books are exactly what God saw fit in his sovereignty to preserve for the church. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Good. Can you pray for us, Mark? Yes, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about Epaphras again, who helped found this church in Colossae when Paul was not even there, when, when Paul writes, Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. God, I pray that more than ever, we in this room would be like Epaphras, struggling. One translation says wrestling, the word agonizing, constantly wrestling and struggling in prayer on behalf of all of God's people, particularly the saints here in this room, that we would be wrestling in prayer on behalf of one another, that we would all uh, be, uh, uh, stand fully mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So God, I do pray that you would bless this time of conversation. I pray that you would encourage all of us to pray more frequently with more delight and joy. And even when we don't feel like it, to still pray uh, anyway. And I pray that you would use our prayers for one another for great good and for your glory in this world. And God, thank you for this letter to the Colossians. It is a gift to us that is in your word. And I pray that our conversation now would be honoring to you. And I pray.